Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, June 9th, 2018. I'm Travis and I'm flying solo today, so if you tuned in uh, wanting to hear Rachel, which I'm, a sh- I'm quite sure most of you did and you just want to tune out till next week, I completely understand. I would probably do the same. I'm very sorry. Rachel is under the weather and preparing to sell a house, which if you know anything about staging and selling a house is a nightmare of uh, Kafka-esque proportions, and she's in the midst of that, and I'm going to go help her as soon as I'm done here. So she cannot uh, join me today, so it's just me. Yeah, um, if Kegro can do it 10 hours a week or so, I could maybe pull it off for 90 minutes. Uh, we'll see. Anyway, yeah, um, welcome to this new bizarre reality uh, where in the G7 summit, uh, well, Trump is done with his portion of it. He just kind of came and flew through and did his thing and established that our allies are no longer really our allies and he prefers, or we as the United States, as it were, prefers despots and uh, non-democratic regimes. And that's where we are. And Republicans and conservatives, for the most part, are fine with this. Um, This podcast is going to be all over the place. I'm going to bounce around a lot. I have no Rachel here to anchor and moor me uh, to any uh, consistent and coherent train of thought. So it's going to be a lot of, um, you know, just bouncing around to and fro uh i do apologize uh for that stream of consciousness uh is kind of what we'll call it um anyway so the g7 summit which is uh, ostensibly will soon be the g6 summit because as long as trump is president the united states is probably going to get kicked out uh, he he arrived late for certain things and he just had this really bizarre smug look on his face and there's this picture circulating of Merkel basically scolding him uh, which is great or horrifying depending on how you want to look at it and then he just had this rambling incoherent press conference where even by Trump standards it was rambling and bizarre and incoherent Uh, he was screaming about uh, more tariffs or retaliation for tariffs that haven't happened yet which are in response to US tariffs and criticizing our allies, particularly Canada. He's in his big beef with Trudeau now, which I guess was inevitable. And he's excited about meeting uh, Kim Jong-un next week, wherein he said he will know within the first minute whether there's common ground and it's worth it because, in his words, he he's such a master at feeling out these situations and just understanding and knowing people so well that, that that's what's going to happen. So I'm sure that inspires a lot of confidence. That's where we are with that. He also announced uh, that there are no preconditions, no conditions whatsoever to this meeting coming up. So no advanced work. Uh, I guess Pompeo has done some work behind the scenes, but it doesn't seem as though anything to do with the summit was really well coordinated between the White House and the State Department I think there's just sort of competing factions. I I think Pompeo has his own agenda and John Bolton has his own agenda and Trump has his own agenda, whatever the hell that is, which is probably basically a photo op. 
Um, I actually, <laughs> I wrote a story for Daily Coast that I'm going to read on the air that the reason for the whole, uh, the whole reason for the summit may be naming rights for the giant white elephant hotel that North Korea has been attempting to build in Pyongyang since 1987, and it's still not complete. And it would not shock me, actually, if that was at the root of all of this. And, and I'll read my story. And it, I wrote it tongue in cheek. And now that I'm sort of reading it back, I'm like, well, no, that actually could that could be the whole thing. But I will get to that as as I try to organize my thoughts and uh, present you a coherent show. Without Rachel, if that's possible, I'm not promising anything. Uh, anyway, the G7 summit. There's uh, been a lot of reactions. There's been a lot of um, uh, basically, it was a complete disaster, and it's hard to quantify and categorize what's a political disaster for Trump and Republicans, and what's just a disaster for the country, because it's pretty clear that Republicans, at least the the core, we're talking somewhere close to 90% of people who identify themselves as conservative for Republicans are not going to abandon Trump no matter what. And they can have all these talking heads on CNN and MSNBC and Jennifer Rubin and Rick Wilson and Steve Schmidt can, you know, they can be up in arms and pontificate and, and tell how horrible this is and he's not a real conservative and this isn't what Republicans stand for. And the basis isn't listening. They're, they're not interested. Um, Trump is the GOP. The GOP is Trump. This is the conservative Republican position uh, unless and until they stand up to stop him. Now, there's been some murmuring that they were going to do something about the tariffs and now they might do something about um, the end around Justice Department attempt to unravel the ACA, which I'm going to get to in a little bit. But until they actually do it, and McConnell or Ryan allows that to move forward, it's all talk and bluster, and, and they, they haven't done anything. So let, let's, <laughs> let's talk about the, uh, the summit. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to rehash what the G7, what used to be the G8 or the G7 is. Basically, it's uh, world leaders from the largest countries getting together, trying to solve global issues, global problems like climate change, which Trump and his delegation just totally skipped that part because they don't think it exists. Um, and, you know, nuclear proliferation, terrorism, you know, all the things that leaders of countries get together to try to discuss and talk about. Uh, Russia used to be part of this. That's back when it was the G8. They were kicked out after the invasion and attempted annexation of the Crimea. Um, now Trump is publicly advocating for them to be brought back, saying that the whole Crimea thing was really Obama's fault and it doesn't matter anyway and who cares. And then we know because of the Republican National Convention in 2016 that the platform had changed or they tried to change it before somebody <laughs> caught on to it uh, that said the – basically it, it revoked some harsh language about the annexation of Crimea which was Paul, very much Paul Manafort's doing and part of the whole collusion um, hierarchy, if you will, when the Trump campaign was very obviously in cahoots uh, with Putin and Russia uh, to help him deliver the election for certain things and like the most 
glaring, flashing red light strobe of evidence was right there in the in the platform of the Republican National Convention, which some people noticed and talked about, and then it sort of quietly got revoked, kind of in the platform. But that's where this whole thing kind of started, um, and. Now Trump is saying Russia should be back in. It'll maybe be the G7 again. Maybe Russia will replace the United States. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, it's an awful cluster. And uh, Trump uh, humiliated himself. He humiliated the United States. He humiliated the free world today at the G7. And now we're off to uh, this one-on-one summit with Kim uh, next week in Singapore. And I'm sure that will go splendidly well. Um, he actually gave sort of a – this is unique though in that I, I mentioned this before, but Trump actually gave sort of a press conference, which he never does. And which if you remember back to the campaign, like it was a big deal that Hillary Clinton didn't do a press conference for however many months and everybody was up in arms about it and the New York Times couldn't believe it and how dare she not do a press conference. Trump never does press conferences and nobody seems to care anymore. Uh, But he kind of did one after the G7 summit today, and it went really, really badly. And it's an an indication of why he never gives press conferences. Um, A CNN reporter asked a question, and he said, CNN is fake news, um, because that's very presidential. Um, So I guess CNN is going to have to go hire five or six more Trump flacks, because that's kind of what they do every time that Trump insults them. Oh, well, here, you know. There's only one Jeffrey Lord. We can't clone him. Sorry. We'll hire Lewandowski now and maybe they'll hire Sub Gorka if he's already not working there. I don't know. I don't watch CNN, so I couldn't tell you. I just know that they hire a lot of Trump flunkies and then Trump insults them for it anyway. Um, (laughs) So the American president attacked American reporters during a press conference at a world summit and kind of that's where we are. And I'm trying to find there was a pretty good tweet storm about it to talk about what an awful and embarrassing cluster uh, this was. And, um, yeah, and the big news out of it, there's breaking news that Trump delivers his most defiant trade threat yet to leaders at G7. Uh, President Trump told foreign leaders at the Group of Seven Summit that they must dramatically reduce trade barriers with the United States or they could lose access to the world's largest economy. We're the piggy bank that everybody is robbing, Trump said. And that ends. Um, the problem, and I, again, we need to have Arliss on the podcast to uh, to explain all this to you guys again. But Trump has this massive um, misunderstanding of what a trade deficit is and how it works. And he's also lies or is just wrong about the fact that we have a trade Deficit with Canada. We have a trade surplus with Canada, which is common sense, right? Um, again, let, we'll go back and get a little rudimentary about it. A trade deficit or surplus happens when a country imports more goods um, or services, but it's mostly geared towards goods, and Arliss can explain this better, than it exports. So with Mexico, we have this massive trade deficit. Because a lot of products can be made very cheaply in Mexico. Uh, Mexico makes a lot of uh, musical instruments, uh, for example, for a lot of American companies. Cars are manufactured there, consumer goods, uh, lots and lots of clothing, uh, apparels, textiles. Um, That's because 
the cost of labor and the cost of construction is much less expensive there in Mexico. So you have this huge, uh, this much larger, this huge, great, huge, big um, amount of these goods that consumer goods that are made in Mexico because they're cheaper to make and then therefore they're cheaper to buy. And American goods purchased in Mexico, that's obviously a big deficit. Hence, our trade deficit with with Mexico. Um, and again, this is a product of uh, U.S. companies or other companies throughout the world able to utilize cheap Mexican labor, cheap uh, Mexican construction costs, in many cases, lax environmental rules. These are all things that conservatives and Trump should love, but Trump's misunderstanding of what trade deficits are and how they work leads to him saying we have this awful trade deficit we have to do something about it which means a lot of the consumer goods that we enjoy on the cheap would become much much more expensive and american products most a lot of mexicans wouldn't be able to afford to buy so there's no good way to even that out it's just sort of a structural problem that trump really doesn't understand and then on the flip side we have a big trade surplus with Canada. And that, again, should be easy to understand. <laughs> Canada has something of a manufacturing sector, but it's not like the United States. Now, steel aside, they, they do produce a lot of steel that American companies use. But, you know, there's only so many Molsons that we can import. And, you know, so much like where are all the consumer goods from Canada that are being consumed by Americans, no, obviously it's the other way around. There's a lot of American consumer goods that find their way to Canada, and hence we have a trade surplus uh, with Canada, which is something Trump should like, I guess, because he's got this idea that we should have trade surpluses everywhere. Um, because again, he has a fundamental fundamental misunderstanding of how trade works, um, and instead we have a surplus but he's claiming we have a trade deficit uh it's a mess and it's going to be a bigger mess because he's got it in his head like a little kid learns a new word or a new thing and just runs with it the tariffs and trade wars are the answer to everything somehow and it's going to hurt a lot of american businesses a lot of american farms a lot of american manufacturing they are starting to realize it now and it's very important to note that this is a big, big core of, of Trump's constituents. These are people who thought, well, Trump talked about bringing manufacturing back and helping. And in some cases, they like these tariffs, you know, maybe some dairy farmers in certain parts. But for the most part, they're very concerned about this. This is a huge disruption in trade, in North American trade, in global trade. And just the threat of these tariffs can throw things into chaos. And, you know, we could be on the verge of something like an economic meltdown. We, we, we really could be as long as this guy is in power and Congress lets him run amok. Now, Congress, a lot of weird things are happening, right? We are coming up quickly on a midterm election. And congressional Republicans, especially those that are running for re-election, are being put in this awful box where, wherein they know what Trump is doing with these tariffs and these threats. And, you know, basically trying to taunt uh, Canada and, and our allies into these trade wars is going to be really bad for the economy and they are going to get blamed. 
But in the short term, they don't want to be seen as opposing Trump. They really don't. It, it's it's that dogmatic. So they're between a rock and a hard place. They don't know what to do. And really, if markets kind of react quickly now, what's keeping sort of Trump propped up and helping the Republicans is that the economy overall is still is pretty strong and the jobs numbers are good. If you had cratering jobs numbers to go along with this stuff, it would I mean, it'd be a game over. But so they're, they're, they're sort of trying to balance the fact that overall the economy is good while behind the scenes or right out in front, Trump is trying to trash it. But these things happen gradually, typically. I mean, sometimes you get like the housing crash of 2008. It can all unravel really fast. But in this case, it's it's probably going to be more of a slow burn. But Republicans understand we're headed there and it doesn't seem like they're really going to do anything about it because they can't be seen as opposing Trump. Um, Because let's face it, Trump is still extraordinarily popular with the base and there's all this talk about, well, what are Democrats going to run on except for opposing Trump? And they're just going to run on opposing Trump. Well, what are Republicans going to run on? They're going to run on, yeah, let's give these trade wars and tariffs a shot and let's unravel the ACA. Again, I have to get to that. And let's play you know, nuclear chicken with this completely unprepared summit with Kim and let's do all this crazy shit that nobody wants. Uh, or are they going to oppose Trump? And I don't think they can afford to oppose Trump. Not with the base. So the question shouldn't be, are Democrats going to run on anything but opposing Trump? It should be, well, what are Republicans going to do? Are they supporting Trump or are they standing up to any of his batshit insanity? And there's also another thing to keep your eye on as we get closer to the midterms here. Uh, gas prices are high. Here in Denver, it's between 280 and 3 bucks, more or less, to fill your tank. That's a lot. It's certainly more than where it has been. Uh, been pretty stable over the last two, three years at least, hovering around two bucks a gallon or even less. And now we're up to three. That's a big increase. And depending on what happens with this, uh, with these Middle East adventures, and you know, stoking Iran, which is another development that happened this week that I'm going to try to get to, um, that could keep going up. And, and I think the punditry is really underestimating how volatile that could be. Ga- Look, fair or not, and in this case, I think that Trump's actions have a direct cause on what's happening. I think you could have made an argument back in 07, 08, when the last you know, fuel prices were going through the roof, um, that maybe it was unfair necessarily to completely blame GW Bush, but fair or not um, when gas prices go up and gas becomes unaffordable it gets blamed on the Republicans and or on the party in power on the president in power and the party in power period they say do something about it people think somehow they caused it or didn't do enough to prevent it and if gas prices stay this high and and I know this week they've dropped a little bit but if they stay this high or they continue to rise it's going to be a huge huge issue. Voters work on what's tangible and what they can understand and what they affects them directly. This is what the problem Republicans are having when they thought they were going to have a lot to run on with their tax bill, right? 
there's tax bill and average Americans are going to see a tax cut and that's going to help them. Well, most Americans have it. And in fact, a lot of Americans are going to see a little bit of a tax hike. So really that just boils down to the same old partisan shit. If you like Trump and you're a Republican, then you say good for the tax cut, if not bad. There's no, there's no wiggle room in there where all these Americans who were neutral or didn't necessarily like Trump saw this big tax break in their paychecks. Like Americans look at their paychecks and they can see a difference. And if Republicans are saying, oh, we got you this tax cut and it's not there, then it's not an issue they can run on. And they're starting to realize that and they've kind of abandoned it in the last month or two. Remember, it was just a couple months ago, well, we're looking at the midterms, we've got this great tax cut to run on. And then the tax cut is not showing up in Americans' paychecks. So, and again, there's all kinds of horrible things with this tax cut that are eventually going to screw a lot of people. But again, Americans understand what's tangible and in front of them and affects their pocketbook day to day directly. And gas prices going through the roof and it costing, you know, at this point, anywhere from an extra 10, 15, 20, 30 dollars to fill their tank, then six months ago, they're going to notice that. And that's going to make a difference. And it's, it's kind of shocking. I think I was Nancy Pelosi finally started running some gas price ads, which is smart, especially if this continues. Um, that's going to matter. It's going to matter a ton. And it's kind of shocking. Very few people have talked about it. Um, I mean, people say it's the news. Oh, gas prices are rising, but nobody talks about any political implications and they absolutely should. Um, so there's that. Anyway, backing up a little bit, um, there were new charges. I think it was just announced yesterday and I'm trying to go off CNN, which is kind of a mistake because they have auto-playing video and a bunch of obnoxious pop-ups and like, oh, are you sure you don't want our stupid news digest? Um, new charges have been brought against Paul Manafort. And Paul Manafort is in additional trouble because he is now being uh, accused of witness tampering. Uh, so Paul Manafort's in some trouble. And then we need to try to look at the bigger picture here and how this all ties into the Mueller investigation at large. But I'm going to read the story real quick. Uh, I believe this story was – it came out yesterday. Yes, late yesterday. Washington. Robert Mueller's special counsel's office hit former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort with two more criminal charges Friday and added his longtime business associate, Konstantin Kalimnik as a second defendant in the case after accusing them earlier in the week of attempting to convince witnesses to commit perjury. The expanded criminal allegations ratchet up the pressure Manafort faces to cut a deal with the special counsel's office as he awaits two criminal trials. If he is found guilty in both cases, 69-year-old Manafort could be sent to prison for the rest of his life. The case now accuses both Manafort and Kalimnik, 48, of Moscow of obstruction obstruction of justice and conspiracy to obstruct justice, meaning they allegedly worked together to contract to contact two possible witnesses in Manafort's case since February. Uh, just to jump in, uh, the, the pressure on Manafort thing is an interesting debate. Uh, we have mentioned lots of times on this podcast, if it's between U.S. prison and a poison tip umbrella dying horribly of radiation poisoning... Um, I think Manafort's going to take his chances of prison. I'm not convinced at all that Manafort's going to flip, but you never know. Uh, the case now accuses both Manafort and Kalimnik, 48 of obstruction of justice. I read that. Uh, 
Prosecutors already claim that Manafort misled federal authorities for years about his lobbying work in the U.S. for Ukrainian politicians before he joined the Trump campaign. He has pleaded not guilty to the charges. He is also fighting a handful of financial crimes charges, including bank fraud, against him in Virginia federal court. And I think the new charges were in D.C., if I'm not mistaken. Kalimnik has long been a close business colleague of Manafort's. The prosecutors have said in previous filings has ties to Russian intelligence. That's the important part right here. Remember, Trump and his people have been trying to isolate Paul Manafort and say he was only working on the campaign for a very short period of time. He wasn't directly involved. He was the campaign manager. He was at the head of this thing. And Trump and Manafort's relationship goes way, way, way back, way back. And as usual, the press does a very poor job of pointing out these ties. They just kind of regurgitate, well, the Trump campaign said that they, he was a fringe figure and he was only there for a short time. And that's a total lie and very easily debunked. But again, we don't get that. Um, in the days followed and through April, Manafort and Kalimnik suggested the two witnesses who worked on the Habsburg Group project say – the group focused on Europe and, quote, never lobbied in the U.S., according to an encrypted message between Kalimnik and one witness the prose- and one witness the prosecutors obtained. Yet Manafort and the public relations people had, bro- had brought the Habsburg group to the U.S. to speak with members of Congress uh, about the interests of Viktor Yakunovich. Let me make sure I got that right. Yanukovych. Yanukovych, a former Ukrainian president who had jailed a political rival while posing as independent voices, prosecutors said earlier this week. One of the witnesses in touch with Manafort this year told prosecutors he believed Manafort wanted to, quote, suburban perjury, the previous filing said. And again, let me relate that to what I was talking about before, when the actual platform of the Republican National Committee was to basically say that Russia annexing Crimea was okay, more or less. And, and I know I'm oversimplifying it and, and sort of drawing things out of what was said. But remember, Paul Manafort. And the RNC happened right around the time Paul Manafort was named as campaign chair, has been working in Ukraine on behalf of Russian interests for decades. So he's, he has been doing Putin's bidding to uh, expand Russian influence in the Ukraine. And then he quite frankly brought it to the United States. And you can bet Mueller is looking at that. Um, so it all ties together. Um, because of the witness tampering allegations, prosecutors have asked the judge in D.C. to send Manafort to jail while he awaits his September trial. He is currently on house arrest at his condo in Alexandria, Virginia, and has a $10 million unsecured bail. His trial in Virginia is scheduled to begin in late July. Uh, most people think that the judges, the, the judge will send him to jail. They really don't like when you do things like witness tampering. That's frowned upon generally. In a response to the accusations made earlier in the week, Manafort's attorneys argued in a filing late Friday that special counsel's allegations of witness tampering conjures a sinister plot to persuade associates to perjure themselves, but disputes that the evidence provided establishes any tampering. Well, they are right. It does conjure a sinister plot. In the filing, Manafort's attorneys accused Mueller of bringing the charges on the, quote, thinnest of evidence, an 84-second phone call and text messages between Manafort and the two former business associates. I really hope that discovery becomes public. I really want to see um, what he said. (laughs) They argue that the limited amount of communications cannot 
be fairly read, either factually or legally, to reflect an intent to corruptly influence trial witness. Well, tell it to the judge. From a scant record, the special counsel conjures a sinister plot to corruptly persuade two of Mr. Manafort's former business associates to perjure themselves at the upcoming trial in September, their filing said. However, exhibits attached to the special counsel's filing in support of the defendant's position that the mission and the work of the so-called Habsburg Group was European-focused and that the text messages cited by the special counsel do not establish any witness tampering. The... uh, where I'm not sure where his lawyers are going with the Habsburg Group being only European-focused. Like, if you're tampering with witnesses, who cares? Yeah, this doesn't... This feels a little desperate. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, but, you know, attorneys are doing their thing. Mr. Manafort's Sixth Amendment right to trial by an impartial jury in this district may have been irreparably damaged by the special counsel's latest very public, very specious file. <laughs> okay, they're making a... I like that. That's, that's very clever. So they make a Sixth Amendment argument. They're like, oh, you accused my client of witness tampering, and that's going to that's gonna bias a jury and make him think he's a bad guy. I'm like, well... He's a bad guy. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, clever, and it seems like they're in the let's throw as much shit against the wall stage as we can. So Paul Manafort is really fucked. He is in big trouble. And again, the right-wing spin to this this week that I've been able to conjure up is, well, this has no connection to Trump. And then I saw some people spin. Uh, I saw an article in the New York Times that, well, this is kind of a kind of a win for Trump. In that Trump himself is not named <laughs> in the latest indictment, as if they don't understand how this works. And I, yeah, you could look at it that way, right? Like as more and more of Trump's associates and people that ran his campaign get in trouble, and Donald Trump himself is not named as a conspirator in an indictment. Yeah, it's in a way of looking at it, you could call it good news, I guess. I guess in the way of when, like, they were working a case up for uh, John Gotti when each of his associates started to get picked off, and you could say, well, John, your name wasn't mentioned in this latest indictment of, you know, Sammy the Bull or whoever. Like, that's good news, buddy. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> you, you know, the glass, if you're a half, if you're a glass half full kind of guy... Yeah, and your associates keep getting pinched one by one, but it's not you, then you can look at it as good news, I guess. It's, I wouldn't look at it that way, certainly. I'd be shitting bricks, but, you know, I am not Donald Trump. Anyway, uh, what to get to next? There's 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 been more Trump-Russia stuff in the news. I don't know if it was this week or last week where... Uh, Ivanka Michael Cohen. I think that was this week. So give me a second while I get to that because that uh, perked up my attention and got my antenna going. Uh, Yes. Yes, this was just a couple days ago. Um, So, you know, Ivanka, who is the, the... It was declared was the world's most powerful woman and... She was going to be a check on Donald Trump and all these wonderful things, and Chris Eliza openly pines for her, and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm trying to read this off USA Today, which has 835 pop-ups and auto-playing video, so bear with me. 
Yes, report. Ivanka Trump connected Michael Cohen to Russian, who offered Putin introduction. Um, so this is... You know, I've heard Ivanka mention in a couple things that she might be a person of interest in, in the whole um, Trump-Russia investigation, but there wasn't all that much that tied her directly, but I think that may have changed now. So let me read you the story. Ivanka Trump reportedly connected her father's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, remember him? He's the guy that has every text message and email he's ever sent, right, being reviewed by the FBI to a Russian athlete who later offered to introduce Donald Trump to Russian President Vladimir Putin in order to facilitate a business deal. BuzzFeed News reported the deal in question involved the facilitation of a hundred-story tower bearing the Trump name in Moscow. Actually, this reminds me. (laughs) After this, I'm going to have to get to the uh, the, my snarky uh, Trump summit article on Daily Coast. Um, Back in late 2015, Cohen, who is now the subject of a federal investigation for his business activities, was involved with the deal when Ivanka Trump connected him to Dmitry Klokov. Cohen then spoke with Klokov, a former Olympic weightlifter, at least once on the phone and over a number of emails before turning down the meeting offer. That's really interesting, right? Michael Cohen, of all people, was like, nah, this smells a little funny. Or more likely, it was that he... It was something that he didn't set up himself and he didn't want Ivanka to get credit for it is my guess, but you know, who knows? Um, This reportedly happened in the fall of 2015, months into Donald Trump's presidential campaign. The report was based on sources and emails reviewed by BuzzFeed, which noted that there was no evidence that Ivanka Trump's contact with Klokov was illegal or involved with the election. Okay, fair. At the time of the contact... Ivanka Trump was the executive president of development and acquisitions at the Trump Organization. Trump now works for the White House. Oh, you mean Ivanka. That was very confusing. During an email exchange, Klokov reportedly offered to arrange a meeting between Donald Trump and Putin to facilitate the Moscow Tower. Cohen refused, saying an agreement about the building was already in place. (laughs) I was right. And that he was cutting off further communication. Yeah, he didn't want Ivanka stepping on his toes. I'm going to make the deal. You you, you go away, Ivanka. It's me. I I want daddy's attention because Michael Cohen looks at Trump as like a bizarre father figure and is probably competing with the other Trump kids, which in this case he obviously is. Klokov then pushed back, questioning Cohen's authority over Trump organization decisions. Woo! Uh, And then this article just cuts off, so I'm going to find the BuzzFeed article. Thanks a lot, USA Today, for that tease. Uh, Where is it today? Sorry, bear with me. I know. See, I warned you. There's no Rachel around to keep me grounded. Okay, here we go. Here's the BuzzFeed article. Um, From there. Okay. The contacts reveal that even as her father was campaigning to become president of the United States, Ivanka Trump connected Michael Cohen with a Russian who offered. We already got to that. These interactions also shed new light on Cohen, the president's formal personal lawyer and fixer who was under criminal investigation. Yes, we got that. We got that. We got that. Uh, Okay, here's a good part I like. (laughs) Donald Trump personally signed a non-binding letter of intent on October 20th, 2015, the day of the third Republican debate. Shows you where his priorities were. To allow a Russian developer to brand the tower with Trump's name. Uh, Think about this for a second. Let's pretend that in 2007, 
Barack Obama had signed a a deal in an attempt to get his name on a giant office building in a giant hotel in China. Just think about that. And then that was revealed at the end of the first year of his presidency. Just just stop. Okay, just stop. Stop what you're doing. Clear your mind. And imagine that it was revealed that via well, his kids I guess were too young, but it doesn't matter who, via his personal lawyer and maybe Michelle or somebody that Barack Obama had signed a deal that in in an effort to get his name on a 100-story hotel or building in China. And that was revealed to the public in 2009. And think about what would have happened. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to give you like just a minute to just imagine that playing out in your head and Fox News and on the floor of Congress. Okay? All right, good. Now that we're there, back to reality. Uh, Donald Trump personally signed a non-betting letter of intent to allow a Russian developer to brand the tower with Trump's name. The agreement stated that the Trump organization would have the option to brand the hotel spa and fitness facilities as, quote, the spa by Ivanka Trump, and that Ivanka Trump would be granted, quote, sole and absolute discretion to have the final say on, quote, all interior design elements of the spa or fitness facilities. Okay, so I, I'm sorry, we're going to have to go back again. Um, Malia Obama, as part of this deal, had exclusive rights to pick out the decor of the spa in China, in Beijing. All right, you with me? Are you, can we carry these two parallel realities and imagine like the reaction and what's happening with this story, which is nothing except guys like me talking about it, and what would have ha- how the world would have melted down had Obama done something like this, or any Democratic president? Or even, or even another Republican president. If George W. Bush had done this, I don't think Congress would have stood for it. They wouldn't have. Uh, anyway, okay, great. Uh, Ivanka Trump was then an executive vice president of development and acquisitions at the Trump organizations. Now, in their defense, like Donald Trump, the private businessman, and Ivanka Trump, the private businesswoman, doing this and laying the groundwork for this thinking that there's no way in hell they'll actually be in the White House makes a, a degree of sense. But once you are running for president, these things create kind of a potential conflict of interest. Do they not? Yes, they do, obviously. Um, okay, so where were we? Ivanka Trump was the executive president. Publicly, she was a sophisticated ambassador for the company, attending ribbon cuttings, posting pictures of deals on her Instagram page, and gracing advertisements for the company's new properties. But inside the Trump organization, she had a reputation as a shrewd and tough executive known to get her way. Daddy. Ivanka Trump, who now works in her father's administration, allegedly, did not respond to questions sent to her personal email, chief of staff in the White House. A spokesperson for her attorney wrote that Ivanka Trump did not know about the Trump Moscow project, quote, until after a nine binding letter of intent had been signed, never talked to anyone outside the organization about the proposal, and even internally was only minimally involved. Her only role was limited to reminding Mr. Cohen that should an actual deal come to fruition, which it did not, the project, like any other with the Trump name, could form with the highest design and architectural standards. That is such bullshit. God. More than five hours after BuzzFeed News published the story, the spokesperson, Peter... 
Berijanian wrote that he, quote, inadvertently left out the statement, Ms. Trump did not know and never spoke to Dmitry Klokov. She received an unsolicited email from his wife, who also did not know, and passed it along to Michael Cohen, who she understood was working on any possible projects in Russia. She did no more than that. So nobody knew anything and nobody knew anybody. And I don't know who this is or what this is, but here's this email and pass it along. And I don't know this is something from my husband, but I don't know anything and nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything, but she wants a spa with exclusive naming rights. Okay. Uh, And and design rights. Uh, But interviews suggest that her involvement ran deeper. Duh. In November 2015, Ivanka Trump told Cohen to speak with Klokov, according to the four sources. Cohen had at least one phone conversation with the weightlifter, they said. Uh, Did they talk about weightlifting? It is not known what the men discussed, borscht, I guess, over the phone, but they exchanged a string of emails that are now being examined by congressional investigators, uh, making the jerk-off motion to the congressional investigators part, and federal agents, more important, probing Russians' election meddling. Why even mention the congressional investigators? That's meaningless. In one of those emails, Klokov told Cohen that he could arrange a meeting between Donald Trump and Putin to help pave the way for the tower. Later, Cohen sent an email refusing that offer and saying that the Trump organization already had an agreement in place. Again, this is no Ivanka. You're not going to step on my toes. I'm going to make the deal. I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to be the guy that gets this done. You, you go away. Uh, oh man, there's going to be so many good palace intrigue books when this nightmare is over. I just I can't wait. Um, if the nightmare is over, we may just, you know, Armageddon. But either way, good stories. He said he was cutting off future communication with Klokov. Go away. I, I got this. Go away, Ivanka and weightlifter guy. Copying Ivanka Trump, the Russian responded in a final brusque message in which he questioned Cohen's authority to make decisions for the Trump organization. Uh, I'd be confused. Like, you're the lawyer. This is the daughter. What, what do you, you know, let's do this, man. Frustrated by the exchange, Ivanka Trump questioned Cohen's refusal to continue communicating with Klokov, according to one of these sources. But she didn't know anything and she didn't have any involvement and she didn't, and she doesn't know and nothing, nothing, nothing. BuzzFeed News was shown the emails on the condition that we do not quote them. Mm, okay. It's unclear how Ivanka Trump came into contact with Klokov. The chiseled giant, <laughs> who is, <laughs> maybe it was that visit when she was spinning in, in Putin's chair in the Kremlin. Maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, who is 35 and lives in Moscow, has 340,000 followers on Instagram, where he frequently posts pictures and videos of weightlifting and associated products bearing his name. Ivanka, you go, girl. You, you do, you, look. Look, if it's good enough for the Trump boys, it's good enough for Ivanka, okay? Seriously, he can get you some. It's not like Jared Kushner is uh, chiseled or winning any weightlifting competitions. Let's, let's be perfectly honest here. He won the silver medal in the 2008 Olympic Games and took the gold at 2005 World Championships, but he has no apparent background in the real estate development. Well, neither, neither do any of these jerk-offs, really. I mean, Cohen does all kinds of crap he has no background in, apparently, to be based on you know all these giant corporations that have been paying him. Nor is he known to be a close associate of Putin or anyone in the Russian president's inner circle, and he does not appear to publicly participate in his country's politics. It's not even clear he could have made good on his offer to arrange a meeting between Putin and Donald Trump. 
Ivanka seems to think he could. Uh, pillow talk, you know. Klokov initially told BuzzFeed News that he did not, quote, send any emails to Cohen. I don't understand why you ask me about this, Klokov said in text messages. Uh, should I have done a Russian accent? I'm wait. <laughs> I have to because his next text is broken English. I'm reading it verbatim. I'm weightlifter, not a political. When told that he had sent at least two emails to Cohen and had a phone conversation with him at Ivanka Trump's request, Klokov stopped responding. Cohen referred BuzzFeed News to his attorney, Stephen Ryan, who declined to comment. He's got enough on his plate. FBI and congressional investigators, two of the sources said, are still trying to determine the relationship between Ivanka Trump and the Olympian. Oh, I'm trying to behave, you guys. I'm, I'm trying to behave. But, come on. Uh, I Okay, we're running up on the break. I'm going to finish the story, and then uh, there are more um, Scott Pruitt hijinks. The fun never stops with him, and the uh, have to get to the Justice Department um, trying to do an end around on the ACA, doing some fairly unprecedented things, and then uh, the practice of ripping kids away from families at the border has gotten uglier, and people are starting to notice, and uh, I have to talk about that a little bit. Don't go anywhere. I will be right back. Welcome back to Reverend Testimony. Uh, at this point, my bandmates have given remind me to let you know the music that you hear uh, here in the midsection and for the going out uh, portion of the podcast is my band, Married a Dead Man. You can find us at marriedadeadman.com or on Facebook, Married a Dead Man. We also have a Twitter, although I don't know if anybody actually follows it. <clears throat> and we have an album that's coming out soon. And if you are in the Denver, Colorado area, you can find us playing live. Um, we're taking a little break now to finish the album, but starting in July, we're going to have a ton of gigs, and you can meet me and tell me how much the podcast sucks, or I should shut up and just let Rachel talk more. Or you probably meet Rachel there, too, because she's usually at those shows. So a little plug for my band, uh, Married to Dead Man, and now moving on past that. Continuing where I left off on this really fascinating article in BuzzFeed about uh, Ivanka and the weight, her weightlifting, <clears throat> scare quotes buddy, trying to build the Trump Tower and give Ivanka the Ivanka Trump International Spa thing, whatever. And then Michael Co <laughs> Michael, Co Michael Cohen not wanting his toes stepped on. Uh, really interesting. So I'm going to continue. <clears throat> um, it's almost done, actually. Ivanka Trump wields unusually strong influence over a president known for his unpredictability and impulsiveness. Uh, that shit again? No, she doesn't. Though her efforts to moderate her father's right-wing tendencies have not always succeeded, such as when he withdrew from the Paris Climate Accord despite her opposition 
Did she oppose, really? She remains uniquely close to him. Yeah, I bet. She has been by his side for years in business and was one of his most trusted and popular surrogates during the presidential campaign. <laughs> yeah. She has an office in the West Wing and a small staff of advisors. She was with her brother Donald Jr. and Sater when they visited Moscow in 2006 to scout locations for a possible tower there, famously sitting in Putin's office chair during a visit. She was also instrumental in the development of Trump Soho, a troubled hotel and condominium tower in Manhattan. New York prosecutors considered criminal fraud charges against Ivanka Trump and her brother Donald Jr. for allegedly misleading prospective buyers to Trump Soho. ProPublica reported last October. Update. This post has been updated to include a new comment from the spokesperson for Ivanka Trump's attorney. So that's about it. Um, interesting stuff. And again, <clears throat> it's one of these deals that kind of ties Ivanka more to the uh, to the <laughs> the whole Trump-Russia nexus. So you can't get away with it because I think it was Don Jr. who admitted a couple of years ago, like, all of our business interest is in Russia. So the ties are there. Nobody in the Trump orbit is clean, and they're all at least going to be looked at. So uh, this Trump Tower Ivanka story is interesting. I don't know if there's anything nefarious or criminal. It's just really interesting, and it's another big piece of a very sordid puzzle. Now let's, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's pivot to Scott Pruitt who still has a job, which in one sense is shocking and in another isn't shocking to me at all. Um, remember, this guy th this guy is basically a crusader to destroy the EPA, named as head of the EPA, and he wants to minimize the EPA's influence, really just destroy it, and let companies just dump all the toxic sludge directly into the water supply and like right onto your kid's face and just no holds barred wild west pre the you know smog acid rain polluted lakes initiatives of the 70s let's just roll it back to lake erie catching on fire and lead and carcinogens everywhere and like bring back asbestos whatever all anything goes because it's all good because industry should have no uh, bounds whatsoever and who gives a crap and hey, let's face it. Major corporations love that. It helps their bottom line. So I, I'm quite sure that every time it's come up, say, wow, this Pruitt and his shenanigans and his waste and his fraud and his uh, – I don't know about fraud but, but his <laughs> – there's I'm sure there's some fraud in there but you know his wasteful spending and – it's all bad press and it takes a spotlight away and then I'm sure he gets calls from Republican leadership in the donor class. It's like, no, nah, you, you got to hang on and let this guy do his thing. This is so helpful to us. It's making us so much richer. You'll ride the storm out. Uh, anyway, the New York Post of all uh, uh, of all places written by our friend Kevin Williamson, the guy who was silenced and shut up for his wanting to – uh, hanging women who had abortions. He he is relegated to the um, nondescript uh, you know, backwater blog, the New York Post. Writes uh, this morning, Scott Pruitt's true believers are losing faith. I don't know if he's classified as one of them, but let's, let's read what uh, good old Kevin Williamson has to say about Scott Pruitt. Uh, this came out this morning. What Scott Pruitt brought to the e EPA was belief. 
His great contribution to re regulatory reform so far has been a theology, though he himself would not use that term. The precedent theology of the EPA is that the Earth is sacred and needs protecting from the predations of technology and capitalism. Pruitt takes a more conventionally Protestant view, one oriented towards stewardship. Wow, he actually wrote this. The belief that the Earth, and Pruitt's view the United States in particular, is here to feed the world and provide the raw materials of prosperity. Quote, feed the world, fuel the world, he says. Yeah, yeah, Scott Pruitt is obviously very interested in feeding the world. It's really easy to feed the world when toxic chemicals leach into the soil and make it impossible to grow anything. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah, it's so, I, I just can't believe they would silence Kevin Williamson. Anyway, that's a theological dispute worth having. But Pruitt is shaping up to be something of a Borgia Pope, the Alexander VI of regulatory reform. The crown is pleased enough with his work, so we agree on that, and the true believers admire his facility with holy writ. But there is an odor of venality about him. <laughs> Trump. And a dozen or so federal investigations underway touch on everything from his financial relationships with lobbyists to his managerial actions within the EPA. Some of it is tawdry. Sending an office employee to try to secure a used mattress from a Trump hotel and set up a call with Chick-fil-A to ask about getting a franchise for his wife? He's, o he's been overly chummy with coal executives and lobbyists. I just want to interject. I don't know if we got to this last week about Pruitt and he tried to get his wife a Chick-fil-A franchise. And the most interesting part about that <clears throat> is, you know, it broke a few days ago and it was scandalous and everything else, but... Basically, Scott Pruitt called or had one of his people call uh, Chick-fil-A and say, I have a business opportunity for you. It's the APA administrator. So Chick-fil-A said, OK, and set up a meeting. And he basically said, yeah, I'd like you to get my wife a franchise. <laughs> and they said, uh, sure, she can apply like everybody else. Here's the application process. You can start it online, or maybe they gave him gave her a paper version and said, "Here, go ahead and apply." And ostensibly, to Chick Fil A's credit, unless I'm missing that, didn't offer any special treatment or anything else. They said, "Okay, here's how you apply," uh, which they could have done with a Google search instead of setting up a meeting. But uh, what what I'm pretty sure what I thought happened is that Scott Pruitt thought he would get the call, set up the meeting, he'd ask for this, and they'd just hand her a franchise. Oh, here you go. Take this one in Sheboygan. Uh, and when they found when they found out like they had to like go through the application process like any rich asshole, like uh, okay, maybe there's some nice people who own Chick-fil-A franchises. I don't know. But anyway, like any rich person, uh, they were like, oh nah, fuck it. <laughs> they just didn't bother because they thought they were just going to be handed one for, for being the Royal Pruitts. Oh, that's lovely. That's so great. Anyway, going on with uh, the unctuous Kevin Williams story. Pruitt scandals and quasi-scandals. I don't know any quasi-scandals. I think they're all scandals. Are in, the main, are in the main part pretty mild stuff. Well, maybe to you. But not things that necessarily could be dismissed out of hand either. His penchant for first-class travel surely is understandable to anybody who travels a great deal for work. Yeah, not on our dime, dick. And perhaps the federal government should learn from the example of the private sector firms who have calculated that more comfortable business travel is worth the higher airfare it extends 
executive <laughs> I'm so glad I read this, guys. Kevin Williamson says that the federal government should spring for everybody to fly first class because they'll do a better job. Forget that first class tickets are in a lot of cases three to four times more expensive than coach and it's your tax dollars. And especially if it's like a two or three hour flight, you know, like, dude, fly coach and be uncomfortable like a common person. But what Kevin Williamson is saying, and I'm sure he wouldn't advocate advocate this under a Democratic presidency, but if you're a Republican cabinet member uh, or work, then you need to be really comfortable so you can do a better job. Wow, this is this is this is an amazing story already, and I haven't even gotten to the good shit. Okay, I'm going to read this again. <laughs> Perhaps the federal government should learn from the example of private sector firms. By the way, I know a lot of people that work for Fortune 500 and big time uh, private sector firms, and guess what? Most people fly coach if it's on their dime. Uh, who have calculated? I mean, CEOs and people know. Uh, have calculated that more comfortable business travel is worth the higher airfare if it extends executive productivity. <laughs> this this fucking asshole. <laughs> he should have been canned for the Atlantic for, for that. Forget the uh, abortion stuff. But these are times of puritanical populism. Yeah, right. And, Pru- and Pruitt knew the deal when he took the job. Yeah, he knew that it was a giant grift and he needed to get in on it. That's what he fucking knew, Kevin Williamson. And one need not to be a raging partisan to think that it's not entirely clear what business the EAPA chief really has in Morocco and Italy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Kevin Williamson. That's great insight there. More, wor- more worrisome are the overly cozy relationships with lobbyists. In- <laughs> Where was Kevin Williamson when Dick Cheney literally invited an energy lobbyist, lobbyist to write the energy bill? Anyway, including the energy lobbyist whose family made a Washington condominium available for the EPA administrator on sweetheart terms, an arrangement that is now under investigation by the EPA's inspector general, according to a letter released in late April. He also wouldn't take his trash out and had the Secret Service kick down the door because he was day drinking or something. The EPA's inspector is also investigating claims that former associate administrator for for policy, Samantha Davis, the person formerly in charge formally in charge of his regulatory reform program was largely absent from her job for months at a time. And I think she's one of the ones he got a big raise for too. So best of both worlds, get a big raise and don't show up for work. I'm in. Uh, The inquiry comes at the request of Senator Tom Carper, Democrat of Delaware. The EPA says it is baseless and absurd. But that is not the unanimous opinion of the EPA. Much of the criticism directed against Pruitt is coming from within the agency and from former staffers. Yeah, it's leaking like crazy. They hate his guts. Some of those probably are Obama administration holdovers who think Pruitt is the prince of darkness himself. Yeah. Some of them are Republicans and Trump Republicans at that. Yeah, he's bad press is bad press, man. Uh, Pruitt is not advocate advancing the president's agenda, a former EPA staffer told me. Like hell he isn't. He embodies it. Pruitt is advancing Pruitt. All of his grandstanding is about himself, not about, that's true, uh, but that's also Trumpism, not about reigning in the administrative state. He expanded, he expended all his political capital defending expensive foreign trips, not regulatory reform. Well, multitask guy. Some of Pruitt's toughest critics are the ones most committed to advancing Republican ideas inside the EPA, and they fault him for inhibiting their project 
through his inattention and self-interest rather than enabling their work. They believe they could have achieved a great deal more already under less troubled leadership. One energy industry leader complains that Pruitt may, quote, imperil the reform agenda. I love how they use these terms. It's a George Carlin thing, right? Like, being able to pollute and murder people is a reform agenda. See, that sounds so much more pleasant. Yeah. I want to roll back uh, regulations that says we can't dump cyanide into children's drinking water. Well, that's, quote, a reform agenda. It's nice, huh? Uh, May imperil the, quote, reform agenda my scare quotes, for reasons that have nothing to do with policy. Pruitt's defenders, and there are still many of them, as I just said before I started reading the article, dismissed the case against him as a combination of partisanship, ideology, and opportunism. The left doesn't like Pruitt because he's Trump's most effective appointee, says Steve Malloy, publisher of JunkScience.com and a member of Pruitt's EPA transition team. Others call the criticism of Pruitt nitpicking. (laughs) But there are a lot of nits. And two of his senior staffers are on the way out the door, including Dravis. Was it Dravis or Davis? Is this a typo? Uh, now I can't. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It was Dravis. Samantha Dravis, not Davis. My bad. Uh, but there are a lot of nits. Those who took seriously Donald Trump's vow to, quote, drain the swamp. <laughs> How does Kevin Williamson write this shit with a straight face? That's what I want to know. We're bound to be disappointed, and the administration has been performing about as about as expected. It is difficult to keep up with the felony charges against his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, to say nothing of Michael Flynn, his former national security advisor, oh, don't drag them into this, uh, who has pleaded guilty to a felony charge of lying to federal investigators. And there's Rick Gates, George Papadopoulos, and all those Russians. Hush money paid to porn stars, not something that used to be super common among Republican officers at the senior level. I don't, this is shitty writing. I mean... I, I don't know what all of this necessarily has to do with Pruitt. Pruitt's questionable judgment may not rise to the Manafort level. <laughs> yeah, uh, not what we know about, Kevin. But it doesn't have to be a felony to be wrong. I have followed Pruitt's work and profiled him in December in a cover story for the National Review. I'm sure it was glowing. Malloy may in fact be correct that he is Trump's most effective appointee, and his broad vision for doing business at the EPA is an appealing one for conservatives such as myself. His attitude is one of facilitation rather than prohibition, and he seeks to ensure that the agency remains subordinate to the law (laughs) rather than conducting itself as a freelance moral crusader. You're a freelance moral crusader if you pass laws that don't poison people to death. Uh, You social justice warriors. But it is no longer clear that Scott Pruitt is the best man to put Scott Pruitt's ideas into effect. So clone another Scott Pruitt who doesn't need moisturizer? I don't know. The man has become a distraction from the message. I have long thought well of Scott Pruitt. I share his environmental theology, which is destroy the environment and let everybody die. And two of Alexander VI's successors are said to have thought he was the greatest pope since Peter. Okay. But Alexander had an awful lot of children, which is an unseemly thing in a pope. Orthodoxy only goes so far. You know what I just realized about Kevin Williamson? He's a shitty writer. Anyway, so that really that, – that, I'm really glad I read that. It, it's more of an interesting insight into Kevin Williamson than Scott Pruitt. But um, I w- also want to read the latest Pruitt controversy about the stuff that he has uh, – the, the latest revelations and what he's forced his underlings and his staffers to go do. 
um, our event, our evangelical leaders, the New Yorker, uh, Democrats at the FBI and Justice Department. Uh, four reasons Scott Pruitt's luck may be running out. Let me read this because I'm still, I'm still quite certain Scott Pruitt isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, this is in Bloomberg. It was published um, yesterday, and it is titled Four Reasons Scott Pruitt's Luck May Be Running Out." The scandal-prone EPA director seemed untouchable. That could be changing. Oh, and this is by another conservative, Ramesh Ponuru, likes getting owned by E.J. Dion on NPR. Scott Pruitt has shown an astonishing ability to stay on as director of environmental protection agency through scandals that would have fell nearly anyone else. President Donald Trump fired Tom Price, secretary of HHS, over less. Price was under fire for inappropriate taxpayer-funded travel. Pruitt has been accused of the same and also having his security detail run sirens so he gets a dinner at a nice fresh restaurant. I forgot about that, yeah. And of trying to use his office to arrange a fast food franchise deal for his wife, and of renting a condo from a lobbyist, yeah, yeah, we discussed all that, and of making an aide find a discount mattress for him. I, I still don't understand the mattress thing. Uh, and probably more by the time you read this. Here's a roundup. He is already the subject of 12 federal investigations, but Pruitt's luck may be running out. Uh, this is really rehashing Kevin Williamson's article um, so I'm not going to read that. Let me let me go back to the most recent roundup of the Scott Pruitt shenanigans, just in case you missed it. And I hope there's not autoplaying video here. This is the Washington Post. Um, one, I'm just going to kind of go down the list. There's the Chick-fil-A restaurant, which we uh, just discussed. There's the $59 per night condo. You should know the story of that already. There's the raises that he gave to his top aides, one of which never showed up to work. The $43,000 soundproof <laughs> phone booth so he could have very, very private conversations. The first class travel, uh, including, I think, to Morocco. The lotion. He puts the lotion in the basket. Uh, this is this is kind of a new one. Pruitt's security detail cost $3.5 million in 2017, almost twice the annual price tag to protect his recent predecessors because, remember, he was saying that everybody was threatening him and they... When they investigated, they didn't find any credible threats. He just kind of made it up. The EPA justified the round-the-clock security by saying Pruitt, had, quote, had, quote, had faced an unprecedented amount of death threats against him. Pruitt, however, has sometimes used bodyguards for non-security purposes. It was members of Pruitt's security detail who carried out the search for his preferred moisturizer. Stay, he needs to stay very moist. He needs to be moist. Uh, Pruitt has also asked agents to pick up his dry cleaning, which is ostensibly not moist. Uh, the mattress, we, uh, I think you've heard about that. Trump home luxury plush Euro pillow top mattress needed to find that and a used one for some reason. Uh, okay. Uh, and then there was a time he sent one of his aides to scout apartments in Washington neighborhoods and help arrange a family vacation to California so the Pruitts could watch the University of Oklahoma football team play in the Rose Bowl. There was $130 in fountain pens. I think that was this week. The EPA in August spent... $1,560 on a dozen customized silver fountain pens emblazoned with the agency seal and Pruitt's signature. Um, an order from the tiny jewel box, which bills itself as Washington's premier destination for fine jewelry and watches, also included $1,760 worth of other high-end office supplies, such as really, really nice post-it notes. Um, no, I just made that up. I have no fucking idea how you spend $3,000 at a fancy Staples. 
uh, in the dinner reservation. New York Times reported in April that Pruitt has sometimes asked the security detail to turn on lights and sirens to clear traffic so that he can get to his fancy dinners in time, uh, including a French restaurant, Le Diplomate, where he ostensibly ordered lots of freedom fries. Uh, there's the mess hall uh, controversy. Last year, as Pruitt became a regular at the bargain price White House mess hall, the White House told agency chiefs of staff that cabinet members should dine there only occasionally and not overuse their access to cheap eats, Politico reported. Pruitt, according to the report, has been known to complain that EPA headquarters has no cafeteria of its own and no private dining quarters. Hence the lights and sirens to, to get to the fancy French restaurant, you know, before, I don't know if he's hypoglycemic or something, but probably not. So, so there's that, uh, Scott Pruitt. Now I want to shift gears and talk about, uh, what the DOJ is trying to do. And this all broke yesterday in terms of using a backdoor way to, um, try to unravel the ACA and already the ACA with in the tax bill that passed trying to undo the individual mandate and some other ways they've tried to screw things are already making things difficult and premiums are going to go up and there's problems and this is poll after poll shows that this is number one on voters lists of priorities and it's a huge gift they've handed to Democrats if Democrats take advantage of that. And I have no faith they're going to do that because our messaging and our ability to message and message consistently and coherently still sucks. But uh, that's a different conversation for another time. Let me try to uh, explain what's happened here because you've probably heard a little bit about it. Um, the state of Texas, because Texas has a long-running suit where they challenge the constitutionality essentially of the individual mandate and things like um, having protections for people with pre-existing conditions, which has a huge, as you can imagine, a huge plural, 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 God, plural, plurality, so sorry, of United States voters of all stripes think that's a good idea. Like your conservative uncle with hypertension, he probably wants his insurance company to keep those, you know, not kick him off the insurance or jack his rates through the roof for pre-existing conditions. So this is kind of a universal thing here that um, the conservatives and Trump are still trying to undo because Obama. Um, and basically, because it's established law, and remember that the Supreme Court already, John Roberts pissed off all the conservatives a few years ago when he said, uh, no, I don't like the individual mandate, but it's legal. And so they had to keep that. And, you know, the other challenges. It's got to go by the wayside, and the Supreme Court has essentially decided, no, it's the law of the land. But now the DOJ has kind of come back and said, well, we're no longer going to defend against these lawsuits because we don't believe in them. Let me try to explain a little more. So this happened yesterday. This is an article in The Atlantic. The federal government abandons the most popular part of the ACA. The Justice Department won't defend Obamacare's pre-existing conditions provision in court, the latest in the administration's assault on the law and they're only getting part of that right with the headline but let me read the article and hopefully it'll explain a little better president trump's administration hasn't lacked for innovative ways to disrupt the affordable care act now it's found another facing a federal lawsuit from texas and several other red states who want the entire law overturned the justice department announced late thursday that it won't defend a core aca provision in court the guarantee of coverage for pre-existing conditions in a legal filing 
The department essentially agreed with much of the lawsuit's rationale, which is that recent legislation has has voided most of the ACA's most important provisions. While it's unclear whether this unusual decision by the DOJ will help the lawsuit's chances, it is yet another signal that the ACA remains vulnerable to being dismantled in pieces. So this is important. Remember, the DOJ is to protect established federal law, United States law. And what they're essentially saying here is we don't like the law. We don't agree with it, even though the Supreme Court said it was okay. And and in a simple way, it makes sense. It's very Trumpian to say like, wait, we're like somebody probably explained to him this, this lawsuit came up and he's like, well, can it win? And he's like, well, DOJ lawyers have to go defend. And he said, well, why the hell would we do that? No, don't defend it. Say we agree with it. And they're like, well, it's not that simple. No, 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 just do it. And they're doing it. Um, the fi- I mean, that's my best guess as to what happened. If, if Trump even knows anything about this, that could be all sessions. The filing originates in the complicated and sometimes perplexing legal history of the ACA. When the reform was passed in 2010, it contained a set of complex provisions involving private health insurance, including new subsidies for the purchase of private insurance and new marketplaces for the sale of private plans by insurers. Crucially, the law also created a series of rules enhancing the minimum level of coverage those plans could provide, it's getting rid of the junk plans, including provisions that compelled insurers to cover people with pre-existing medical conditions, conditions while keeping them from charging those people more. So you can't be charged more if you have hypertension or diabetes or you know, toe fungus or whatever the hell they put on the list. Finally, the law mandated individuals without insurance who could afford those private plans to purchase them or risk paying a tax penalty for going without insurance. That's This is important, right? And this was a conservative brainchild, by the way, the individual mandate. It, it basically says, in order to pay for this, healthy people have to have insurance too. And if you, you decline, then you pay a tax penalty for not having it. And once it was passed, conservatives and people who opposed the ACA said, oh, well, this is, gosh, that sounds super unconstitutional, right? And libertarians just didn't like it on its face. Why should we be taxed for not having a product we don't want? Um, And while I get it, the hypocrisy of it being basically a Heritage Foundation slash Mitt Romney brainchild shouldn't be lost on anybody, that irony. But anyway, that was – and it worked up through the courts and it got all, all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court narrowly said, no, it's legal. And, and I forget the legal rationale, but John Roberts was the deciding vote. And he said, yeah, no, it's individual mandates, good. ACA goes on. And it was close. A lot of people thought it was, that was it. Um, okay. Almost immediately, this framework, along with other major pieces of the ACA, faced partisan opposition and legal scrutiny. The most important legal challenge was the NFIB versus Sebelius case that went before the Supreme Court in 2012. That's when John Roberts uh, saved ACA. In a controversial 5-4 nail-biter, the court deemed that the individual mandate constitu- is constitutional because it derived from Congress's ability to levy taxes. So, yes, it's a tax, and Congress can levy taxes, even though it wasn't dressed as a tax is what they ruled. Four conservative justices justices dissented from that decision, arguing that the court had improperly saved the ACA. The rest of the law wouldn't have survived if the justices had decided against the mandate, they said, because the nullification would have created an inability of the other major provisions to operate as Congress intended. Uh, The Texas-led suit has roots in both this decision and the latest congressional challenge to the ACA. Last year, following dozens of failed legislative attempts to repeal the law, the GOP passed its major tax reform bill, which included a measure to undermine the very individual mandate that had been such a controversial part of the NFIB decision. 
By law, the bill couldn't entirely repeal the mandate. Instead, it made the tax penalty $0 effective in 2019, meaning it will functionally cease to exist after that. The Texas challenge, initiated in February, reasons as follows. If the individual mandate, per the court, is only constitutional because it constitutes a tax, and if that tax has effectively been eliminated, then the taxless mandate that remains on the books is therefore unconstitutional. That's an, that's an interesting legal spin. What's more, in an echo of the justices' NFIB dissent, Texas and other states argue that invalidating the mandate should invalidate the whole ACA because the law can't function the way Congress wanted it to without the mandate in place. Which brings us back to the Justice Department. In its filing this week affirming the main legal premise, premises of the lawsuit, the DOJ reasoned that because it believes the Supreme Court should soon declare the taxless mandate unconstitutional, the pre-existing conditions provisions so closely attached to it should also be nixed. And this is where Republicans should be getting themselves into huge, huge electoral trouble if the Democrat – well, first of all, if the media chooses to cover this right and if the Democrats can get their shit together on coherent messaging. And again, I don't have any faith in that. I just hope it – happens somehow. The Texas-led lawsuit has a long way to go in its arguments. As Jonathan Cohn at HuffPost and Nicholas Bagley at the International Incidental Economist Health Policy blog note, and I would look up that tweet storm explaining what happened yesterday. Look up Nicholas Bagley if you want. There's major disagreement over whether the empty individual mandate is unconstitutional at all, but the debate is even more complicated than that. Even if the mandate were declared unconstitutional, it would be difficult to argue that the decision would render the law's other major provisions unable to, quote, operate as Congress intended. The only part of the law that was changed was the mandate. Congress's intent was clearly to keep the pre-existing conditions ban and other major pieces of the law in place. Thus, those parts of the law wouldn't survive the mandate's unconstitutionality. But they wouldn't, but without the individual mandate, this a lot just, it unravels, basically. Um, Yet, even if this logic wins out in court, it might not matter all that much to the future of the ACA. The Trump administration has proven extremely, often surprisingly, deft in manipulating the policy levers at its disposal to weaken the Affordable Care Act. The Department of Health and Human Services implemented regulatory reforms to reduce the number of people affected by the ACA's requirements. The administration stopped paying major Obamacare subsidies to insurers in late 2017, as in the process of expanding skimpy short-term insurance plans that were limited under ACA rules. And Trump and his congressional allies finally dismantled the individual mandate last fall. Healthcare markets have been turbulent and costs and premiums are increasing as a result. Now Attorney General Jeff Sessions has signaled that the law will be left to its fate. In the Texas case, that means federal government abandoning the most popular piece of the ACA, the pre-existing conditions ban, and taking the risk that the sick and disabled who've newly received health care will be rendered helpless again. That's what's going to happen. That, that's where we are. And, you know, if you think back to the failed um, health care reform under the Clintons and how shitty it was back then, and I remember I, I had a couple years where I simply could not afford insurance and I was in my 20s and young and just went through life going, okay, if I get hit by a car today, I will be bankrupt and broke for the rest of my life. And that is how many of us lived. And I – does anybody want to go back to that? No, but guess what? Republicans still won elections back then. So people can maybe live with it. It's harder now than you've had something and it gets taken away and even – Conservatives, even if they don't know what it is and they think there's a difference between ACA and Obamacare, if Republicans take it away and they understand that it's been taken away by Republicans, then that should – or they're trying to take it away. That should have political repercussions you would think, but we're in the upside down, so dude, who fucking knows?
Like Trump, when this starts picking up steam, Trump will get up there and literally say, uh, the Democrats have, have, are taking away your pre preexisting conditions protections. He'll say that. And then NPR will say today, president Trump said it's actually Democrats who are taking away preexisting, uh, conditions protections. Is he right? Let's and here's an expert on here's Sebastian Gorka. Like, like this could go, this could, <laughs> this isn't as clear cut as people think. Like people's knee jerk reaction to this was, oh, they just handed Democrats this giant president before the midterms. And it's like potentially, yes. But the way the media handles these things and the way the Democrats can't get their shit together on messaging, I, I can't assume that's the case. This is complicated and hard to understand to begin with. And the waters get muddied enough. Who's to say that Democrats take advantage of this? I, I'd like to think we will, but can you be sure they will? Okay, I want to pivot to something else now. Um, I <laughs> I wrote this uh, tongue-in-cheek article yesterday about the upcoming summit, and I wasn't the first one to think of this. I, I had not seen any articles penned um, that cover this specifically, but I, I wrote this tongue-in-cheek, and then, uh, as I said, after reading it a couple times, I'm like, mm, maybe it's not quite wrong. It's called The Real Reason for the Trump-Kim Summit. And with a question mark. The Real Reason for the Trump-Kim Summit? And there's a picture featured of the uh, Ryugyung Hotel, which if you've never heard of this, it is this giant, looming, uh, triangular sort of rocket ship looking thing right in the middle of Pyongyang that is was designed to be the biggest hotel in the world. I think now it would only be like the second biggest because I think they built one in Dubai that like is literally into the clouds. Um, but this would be close. One, top five, top two or three biggest hotels in the world if it's, if it's ever finished. Um, and if you never heard of it, I explain a little bit in this in this piece I wrote. If you follow the oddities and excesses of North Korea, you've probably heard of the ill-fated Ryugyang Hotel. And I may be pronouncing that wrong, I'm sorry. Construction on the towering monstrosity dominating Pyongyang's skyline was started way back during the Reagan administration, I think it was 1987, and still not complete, although it would appear in recent years something is happening there, and more of it recently has appeared finished, and parts of it can be seen lit up. I think like most of it is lit up and in the past couple of years they've put a lot of more the glass on it they needed to put so it looks like almost done. Uh, however, it is not at all open for business uh, as the North Koreans had planned for it to be back in 2012. I think parts of it they're doing something in it but you know who knows it's North Korea. Knowing that the world's largest unoccupied structure which could become one of the world's biggest hotels combined with the leader of the free world about to visit and offer a package of quote economic assistance in exchange for something while knowing that this leader Trump has an ego larger than the building itself and loves to put his name on giant hotels well is it a stretch to imagine that this is what Trump has in mind <laughs> we know the grand Trump Tower Moscow deal never came through and Ivanka needs her spa damn it as I you know as we discussed in that uh, earlier article now, there is no evidence that Trump is pushing through on this discombobulated summit just for naming rights on a giant white elephant hotel, but can we really rule it out? The answer is no. 
For Trump to give away major concessions and anger the entire region and weaken the strategic position of the U.S. and its allies just to get his name on a giant hotel is about the most Trump thing I can think of. Let's just say it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is the real impetus for the summit. Uh, okay. Let me just put it this way. If if Trump and Kim had the summit or a couple more summits after this, or he goes to Mar-a-Lago, Kim goes to Mar-a-Lago or what, would it, would it surprise you at all that they have a joint press conference and Trump goes, I am very pleased to announce that the Trump Tower Pyongyang and the wonderful, beautiful, giant Ryongyong Hotel which is, by the way, going to be the... I'll probably lie and say it's the largest. The largest hotel in the world. Uh, like, he will announce that as if that is what we've accomplished and that was the whole reason. Like, I, I'm sorry. I could totally see that happening. I could totally see that happening. Uh, or it'll just be a throw-in. Like, uh, we did this and did that and they've, they've decided to do a freeze on the nuclear program and also, by the way, this is going to be the new Trump Tower. Or that'll be done quietly, right? Look, I'm telling you, Trump has his eye on that fucking building. He wants his name on that goddamn building. And forget money, because I've seen, oh, there's no money in that. It's it's like, he wants his name on the the biggest unoccupied building in the world. And he's going to try to get that. And, and could this be like the main reason, at least in his mind, for all of this? I would not be surprised. So, <laughs> just... Just keep your eye on that. And if you haven't heard of it, look it up. Just look up Giant Pyongyang Hotel and you'll see the weird history of this giant mega thing. There's lots of weirdness about North Korea if you don't know. They have a whole fake city near the DMZ where they pump loud music and everybody knows it's fake and it's like a Hollywood set. But they still are keeping up appearances like it's a real city where people are living to like show people in the south like, oh, look at this great modern city that everybody loves. It's just the more bizarreness from North Korea. And interesting today, I saw that like in all this hype about Nobel Prizes and peace and isn't this summit going to be wonderful? That Oh, yeah, North Korea has these horrible human rights abuses. Right. Yeah. Like they're finally like catching up with that and like mentioning it. That's nice. Thanks, media, for catching up on that. Speaking of human rights abuses, um, just wanted to touch on this quickly before we're out of time here. Uh, the policy of ripping kids away from their families is still uh, – going on a very tragic story of a Honduran man who's I think three-year-old kid was ripped away and then he was detained in ice and he managed to find a way to commit suicide I think in a holding cell because uh, he didn't know if he'd ever see his kid again or what was happening or what they were doing to him so that's great uh hat tip Susan Sarandon and Nina Turner because um, things are obviously much better now than they would be under a President Clinton. So good job there. Good job, Bernie or Busters. Here's where we are. Kids are being ripped away from their families and lives destroyed. Um, on that subject, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have much to say about Anthony Bourdain. I was a mild fan, knew of him. Rachel was a much bigger fan, and she'll talk about him more in depth when she's back. So I'm sorry for ignoring that or give it, giving it a short shrift. I'm just not the person to properly put all that into context and talk about him so i'm saving that for when rachel is back next week so that's about it uh stay active stay tuned stay involved at irreverent duo try to listen to us on radio public so we make a little money and uh talk to you next week adios